I said that I choose you. You know I still do. 
Once upon a time, you were 25, walking up the aisle, you made the promise of love, blink twice and you were 29, singing lullabies, and I looked up at you for the first time, words fall Like there's nothing 
like my father Even when I'm scared And when someone's in trouble I'll never leave them there And I love like my mother Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, praise the Lord for a, a new day of life uh, and breath. God, um, God has given us so much to be thankful for. And if we, uh, I know of each of us, if we took a moment or two to just stop and think from our busyness and just the excitement of getting here to church, that we would, um, we would have so much uh, that would flood through our minds immediately that we could be thankful for. And I am thankful to be uh, here with all of you today. I trust that you are thankful that we have a privilege of worshiping God together. The Bible says much about unity, about togetherness, about community, about living life uh, for God uh, in um, unity and togetherness with each other because we are not designed by God to be alone in this walk with him, that uh, God, even from the beginning, when he created man and woman and Adam and Eve, he said that it was good that they would be together. And so we're going to hear more about that from God and his word this morning, but let us just uh, take a moment as I read from the scripture to thank God for togetherness, to thank God for the church, for community of believers, where we come together um, being like-minded in Christ, and that is God's desire and his heart for us, that uh, whenever we gather, that we would consider one another, that we would spur each other on towards love and good deeds. The scripture says that we would pray for one another, that we would uplift each other and encourage each other. And so I, I heard and saw that happening before we even began. And I know that we love to do that after a time of worship and after service. And so plenty of opportunity. But please be encouraged this morning that, uh, that God is good and that he desires that we... Um, that we be together this morning. So we thank God for that. Speaking of unity and unity in Christ, I'd like to read to you uh, as part of our call into worship this morning from Philippians chapter two. This, uh, this perhaps is the, the greatest treatise in the New Testament on the humility of Christ and how God desires that we would emulate that humility and a part of that uh, of doing so and emulating the humility of Christ is by recognizing that we are to be unified together. And that is what brings God joy. So listen to these words as a way to, um, to settle ourselves before God, to put aside those things that may be concerning us or worrying us or occupying our minds as distractions. And may these words uh, serve to bring us um, mentally and to bring us spiritually before the throne of grace. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul says these words, Therefore, if, any if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I'm going to pray us into worship, and I'm going to ask that you remain seated for our um, extended call to worship, a video that we have. It's one that um, I like to play at least once a year to remind us of how powerful God is, the powerful name of Jesus, and who this Jesus is that we serve and worship. So after I pray, remain seated, let the, the, the words um, of the video move us into worship, and once it's done, we can all stand and sing praises to God. Amen? So let me pray for us. Father, your word is truth, and your word is for us. God, you have much truth to reveal to us this morning. We pray that as we look to your word, as we hear it read, as we listen to it, as we read it, Father, may it transform us. You tell us elsewhere in the scriptures that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to alternatively be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, we want to be transformed this morning as we are renewed in mind by your word. And God, also that we are renewed through worship. Father, what a privilege it is to be in this place with you and with each other. The family of God, a privilege to be able to worship you through song, through prayer, through fellowship, and through your word. God, may this time of worship through song bring you glory. May it bring you honor. And may this praise be a sweet, sweet sound to your listening ear. Father, thank you for this time. 
again, we pray that you would be glorified, but we know even because of your goodness and your graciousness that still you bless us in worship as we desire to bless you. So Father, this time is for you now. May we be reminded and encouraged of your greatness, the power of the name of Jesus, for he is the one that we praise and worship now. So it's in his name that we say thank you, in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light.
risen, he is risen, he's alive. Jesus, you 
Oh, Father, you are worthy to be praised and praised again. There is no other name. There is no other name that is worthy to be praised. Father God, we thank you for an awesome and powerful time of worshiping you through song. God, may we be transformed by these words of truth that we've been singing. May they truly, Father God, sink deep into our hearts. And as we continue to bring you worship and praise, God, we desire that would it all be in the name of Jesus, that name above all names. Amen and amen. Take a moment to say good morning to somebody next to you and encourage them in that name. I was there on the day that you were changed. You were scared, unprepared for the heartbreak. Everything you knew faded out of you, stole a piece of you.
All right. Praise the Lord for awesome worship and great fellowship. Praise the Lord. If we can find our way back to, uh, to our seats. God is so good. He deserves all the glory. Amen. And uh, what a powerful way to start our time together, being reminded of all the, the names of Jesus and his attributes. We praise God for all of that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, so good. So before we uh, dive into God's word, we will uh, just have a little bit of time, what we call church life. That means just kind of getting caught up on, uh, um, you know, on the, the things of the day, things that have been happening, perhaps that you missed, or things coming up. Remember, always check our website, uh, trinityallenwood.com. Our messages are live streamed uh, and um, then, of course, recorded, and so they're always on our website. So if you're away or if you're homesick, a lot of people that are sick, and so we want to keep praying for good health and God's protection, but um, if you can't make it to, uh, to church and fellowship, please make sure you go to our website and you can check out all the, the past um, uh, services, including the worship, so you can worship along with us, but uh, it is good to be here. I thought I would start with this. I wanted to remind you, yes, there is a sun. It exists. Uh, and, you know, it's important. I feel like we could just kind of park here for a couple minutes and just kind of take it in. You know, we, we, we moved down here to the Jersey Shore so we could enjoy this. And uh, then you look outside and you're like, I don't know what happened. But, um, yeah, the forecast is for uh, gray and gloom. So, you know, that's it, right? But, uh, yes, the sun does exist and we live by the beach. And so just let this be an encouragement to you as well. Uh, and, and I'm really serious about it. Look at the sun, look at the, the ocean and the beach and say, yes, Lord, you know. But what a great reminder, too, that um, uh, such a great application for us because we know that even when there are dark clouds and there is rain, it doesn't mean the sun does not exist. We just can't see it. And so when, um, when we're not walking with the Lord, we're not staying close in Him, when we're not worshiping like we were, you know, then oftentimes we can feel like there's, there's dark clouds over us, right? And uh, yet it doesn't mean God is not there because he is there and his, his light will always shine through, amen? And so, um, yes, and so the sun is there and um, uh, one day we will see it again soon. We can pray for that. But uh, our God, the maker and creator of that awesome sun is truly our light. Even where the scripture says, in all of eternity, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no need for a sun because his glory and his radiance will be enough for us. Hallelujah. And, and that can be true for us now in our hearts and our minds. So we praise God for that. Maybe I just go back to that just for a second. We just get that. We love it. We praise God, right? Help us to worship again. Um, so today is our outreach that we've been announcing for a while. And um, so I uh, just wanted to remind all of you that uh, have uh, you know, said that you're going to come and you're, you're uh, planning to come with us, that right after the end of our service, uh, we will gather in the back and gather up, see who's coming. We will pray, give some last-minute instructions, and then we will head out because there are other uh, ministries down where we're going uh, that um, we like to, to team up with, and that's when there's the most people. We can have the, the most interaction impact, so we want to leave as soon as possible. Um, I would also, I have in my notes to make an announcement to please bring your lunch. I think it's a little too late for that announcement. But um, we have some food and snacks if you happen to have forgotten your lunch because we eat on the way down. So once we're there, we can 
and just step right into ministry. But of course, our ride down is also another opportunity to, to encourage, and to worship, to pray up as we go into ministry. And so I would ask, if you are not going with us today, uh, think about us and pray about the team that's going down um, as you head home and go about whatever you're going to do today. Just um, pray for the team that's going, that we would have uh, many opportunities to share the love of Christ and the light of Jesus uh, in a world that is so dark and desperate. And, you know, we're going to be right in the middle of a community that truly is um, just so desperate for Jesus and, um, and just needs to know that there is hope, hope in this world, in Christ, of course, and hope in the life to come. And so we will be bringing blessing bags and other things to hand out to initiate conversations. And so please pray for the team that's going, that we would be bold uh, in our proclamation of the Lord and sharing the love of Jesus, but also be sensitive, sensitive in spirit to listen and um, to hear others, to hear their stories and to uh, be compassionate and kind and loving uh, with others as the Lord leads. And uh, so just wanted to mention that. I also wanted to um, remind you, of course, that next Sunday, which is February 4th, um, of course, it's our the first Sunday of the month, so we will have our lunch in, our potluck lunch, so make sure you uh, come out and join us and bring something if you can, as we always do, and our communion Sunday. So next Sunday, we end the service with communion, and then we stay for a wonderful time of lunch and fellowship. Uh, but next Sunday also, the, in the evening, uh, is our special uh, event where we will be screening this powerful documentary uh, called Hope in the Holy Land, and we will have one of the producers, Justin Crone, he will be with us um, here in, uh, at the church and we'll be able to have a time of Q&A after the screening to ask him questions about things that you learned in, in the documentary or um, things that maybe of more recent events. And um, this was made a couple of years ago, but it is all the more relevant even today. Um, I encourage you, you can watch this ahead of time. You can go uh, online, go to the the uh, website, if you can Google it, you can just go to our website and you'll see in the events page a link to it. Uh, you can rent it or buy it, uh, watch it ahead of time, watch it anytime, but please come out. It's a great outreach opportunity. Bring friends and family, especially people that you know that might be interested in this subject matter in particular. And even if you can't, I would just really ask that you would just spread the word about this event, maybe send out the link uh, to our website, to the events page on our website, that gives all the information. It, it includes a uh, description, a brief description of the video and what to expect. But it's basically, it is a pastor from California who has a heart to learn more about this ancient conflict um, in, uh, in Israel and in the Holy Land. And he interviews all kinds of people, uh, religious Jews and non-religious Jews. And he uh, interviews uh, religious um, Muslims and non-religious uh, people that identify as Muslims and all kinds of people that get different perspectives. It is truly um, eye-opening and heartwarming and very powerful. And so, uh, again, um, the, the timing is truly God's and important. So I would encourage you to come out for that. It certainly is a free event. We're just asking that you can register on our website so we have an idea of how many people are coming um, but that would be 5.30 to 8.30. So as soon as we arrive, there'll be a quick introduction, then we will show the documentary in its entirety. It's almost two hours, and then our Q&A afterwards. So uh, pre please spread the word 
about that. I also wanted to just take a moment before we get into God's Word to just um, thank Ann Ankrum and the, all the team from the, the uh, JSAS um, Healthcare that came out on Wednesday night to do our Narcan training. So thank you, Ann, for that. And it was great. We praise the Lord. Thank you. Um, Ann did an amazing job uh, of, um, uh, of just presenting you know, what it, what it is we were there for, uh, some great information and background about Narcan and about addiction in general, and, uh, and her team that she brought out was, it was outstanding. We had um, 25 people here. I thank God for such a great turnout, um, and it's something that truly is important um, that we have an understanding of. We all walked away with a free kit and know how to use it and why, what to look for. And so if you have any questions, you can see Anne, and perhaps it's something you want to do attend and you missed it. Um, and she'll give you all the information of how to get trained and to, to get set up with that. So uh, we are grateful uh, to be able to do things like that together. Um, and I have to say too, just in closing of the church life, that um, it was a very powerful reminder to me, and I trust the others who were there, of how great the need is. And we say on the streets, and of course addiction can happen anywhere um, to anyone, but um, specifically to people that, um, that are truly struggling, that usually wind up on the streets or in some level of poverty and uh, addiction. Um, and the need was just, uh, as, as the team was going through all the details, um, just the need was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. Uh, to be reminded of how this world desperately needs Jesus and needs hope. And so even as you pray for our team that's going down to Delaware today, um, many of whom were there in attendance, um, consider that. You never know um, how the Lord is going to use you. And so uh, let us continue to pray that God uses us and this church, Trinity Bible Church, to be a, a beacon of light and hope in our community and the world around us. Amen. Amen. So we praise God for that. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, our passage for today is these two verses, just two verses today, 31 to 32. And again, we continue in our series, King and Kingdom. It's a study through and a journey through the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I believe it was the first one written. Uh, and in it, Jesus uh, is shown by Matthew, the disciple, the gospel writer, to be the true king of Israel, to be the promised Messiah, the Redeemer. And he's writing this to a predominantly Jewish um, uh, community who have now believed in Jesus as a Messiah. And he is writing them to confirm and affirm the fact that, yes, he is the king that you had been waiting for. And so the Gospel of Matthew is very Jewish in nature and uh, speaks a lot to uh, Jesus' um, roots and his um, uh, Davidic line and the fact that he is the promised one of Israel. Uh, and so now the passage that we are in, that we've been in for a few weeks, is Matthew 5 to 7. And we're just, uh, just about to finish up Matthew 5 in a week or two. But this is the great sermon on the mount, because Jesus simply went up onto a hillside, a mountain, and gave the sermon. And he went up strategically so you know, masses could hear him. So we call this the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest 
recorded sermon we have of Jesus, and um, in it we, uh, we see much that Jesus is teaching about the character of the citizens of his coming kingdom. Because again, here we are early in Matthew's ministry, right? The church doesn't exist yet. Jesus is still teaching. Of course, he hasn't been crucified and risen from the, the grave yet. Jesus is teaching, and he is talking about um, the requirements to meet God's standard of righteousness to get into the kingdom, right? To get into heaven. And so he is confronting the religious leaders and the, the, the uh, predominant thinking of the day by the Jewish people about how they qualified for entrance into the kingdom. And so Jesus is teaching that if you have believed in me, you're citizens of the kingdom, this is how I expect you to act now, and of course, how you represent the kingdom and uh, what the, um, the king's expectations are. Because of course, if there is a kingdom, then there has to be a king, and a king truly can't be a king without his kingdom. And a king has subjects, citizens, loyal uh, followers, and the king has expectations of the followers. And likewise, his followers have expectations of him. And so Jesus has been teaching the last few weeks we've seen with great authority. And we see that because Jesus begins each section here in this part of Matthew 5 with this, this, these powerful words. He says, you have heard it said, meaning the, the law, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, right? You have heard it said, but I say to you. So there's this theme here where Jesus is quoting uh, something from the law that they would have understood and that they were trying to live by and enforce. And Jesus is saying, but I say to you. And again, that is very significant. We don't ever want to skip over anything that we see in Scripture because Jesus is asserting his great authority. And, and even that phrase, before he even unpacked it, would have really caught their attention because Jesus is coming uh, with great uh, authority and is demanding their attention in that. So he says, but I say to you, and that's where we find ourselves today, as Jesus gives another example of this contrast between the law as the religious leaders and the rabbis and the scribes, the Pharisees had interpreted it and are applying it and teaching it to truly God's heart behind the law. So really it is all about a matter of the heart because what Jesus was seeing and what saddened him so much and, and elsewhere said it made him indignant was how the religious leaders of the day who should have known better were only teaching about the outward signs of righteousness but completely missing the heart of God and God's true standard for entering into the kingdom which is perfect righteousness and holiness, which is really what the law was expressing. And we'll get into a bit of that today, too, to see this juxtaposition of law and grace and how we are no longer under the law as Christians, as Christ's followers. Amen? You with me so far? All right, so Jesus had given a couple of examples to make this point, and he says, um, a couple of weeks ago we looked at the first one, he says, you have heard it said, 
do not murder. And he says, but I say to you, if you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you're already guilty of that sin. See, Jesus is turning that inside out because the teaching of the day was as long as you don't commit the act of murder, you're okay, you have kept that law and you know, you'll get into heaven. And Jesus is saying, if you just even have hatred in your heart, people look at you, they won't even know it. If you have hatred in your heart, he says you've already broken that commandment. And then he says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. He says, but I say to you, again, Jesus is, is explaining the true heart behind the law. He says, I say to you, if a man has even lusted after a woman, that he has already committed adultery. Again, the people would have been listening and thought, I have no shot to get into this kingdom, right? So Jesus gives another example like that in our passage today. So Matthew 5, 31 and 32, just these two verses, uh, just these few words that he uses to give, and the topic now is divorce. And so he's again going back to the law, the law that God gave to Moses, including the Ten Commandments, that God had given to the Hebrews, the people of Israel, um, so that they would have law and order, so that they would um, understand how they are to, to come before a holy and righteous God. And so Jesus used the topics of murder and adultery, and now he uses divorce. So look at what he says and we will unpack this again, keeping in mind the context here. Jesus is teaching about the heart of God, what he expects. And Jesus is saying, this is what I expect from those who will enter into my kingdom. So, it was said, these are the words of Jesus. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Again, he's quoting the law that they all would have known about. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That is our passage for today. So again, we ask some questions when we go to any passage of Scripture. Who's saying this, and why is it being said, and what is the context? If you remember at the beginning of this year, just a, a few weeks ago, um, I was able to share with you what our theme verse would be for this new year, 2024. Taken from John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so our focus this year is on that word truth, that Jesus says he is the way and the truth, right? Not just a truth or one of many truths to believe in, but he claims to be the truth, along with the way and the light. Because you remember the disciples were, were responding to Jesus when he said, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go somewhere you can't follow me, as he was preparing them for his, his departure. And, and they're like, well, where are you going? We wanna go with you. And he's like, you can't go. And they said, well, how do we know? How do we get there? And he says, you know the way. And they said, we don't know the way. And he says, yeah, you do. He goes, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so we focused on the idea of truth this year in particular. Why? Because in our age, in our world, as it's always been, but perhaps even more intensely so in the day and age we live in, truth is under attack. 
It always has been since the very beginning. You remember when Satan, in the form of a serpent, asked that question to Eve, did God really say? See, he was questioning and making her doubt the truth, the truth of God's word. And so that is the same today, and it takes many forms. And so we are to remain, as followers of Jesus, remain standing on the foundation of the absolute truth, who is Jesus and is his word, amen? Because when all else around us is crumbling, when all else around us seems chaotic and leads to confusion, and it's hard even these days to discern truth from a lie, fact from fiction. I talked all about, remember in that message, about artificial intelligence as just one way that we see this happening and how will we know what is true and what is not? We are to keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. And so here in this passage, he's giving us an important teaching. Again, it's not specifically just on divorce, but there's a bigger picture and a bigger issue at play where he is again talking about the heart of God and his standard. So if Jesus himself is the standard of God's truth, that means he gets to decide what is fair, and what is just. So he talked about murder, he talked about adultery, he's now using divorce as an example. In Matthew chapter 19, which we'll read in, in a minute or two, Jesus gives a much more detailed teaching on divorce. So obviously as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, once we get to Matthew 19, we will unpack that in greater detail. That not, that's not the... Uh, the, the point of today's message, but yet that is a very, very um, important message, and so obviously we will get there, but just for your notes and for your own reading, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus gives uh, a really important and more detailed teaching on uh, divorce. We're going to read part of that today uh, as, um, uh, to give us context. So, Jesus again is talking about uh, the righteousness that will get you into his kingdom. And Jesus is pointing to the heart. Now, again, like we hear in Jeremiah 17, it says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So because of our sin nature, our hearts need to be made new. Because before a holy, righteous, and perfect God, whose standard is perfection and holiness, then we are a lost cause. But with Jesus, we have new life and hope in him. Amen? That is what Jesus offers. And so we are to understand that. And Paul expounds it so much in Romans, and he says, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Like, no one can attain the perfect glory of God in order to be in his presence in heaven. So therefore, we need somebody perfect to do it for us. And Jesus was the only one. And so here, Jesus uses the teaching of divorce as a way to show that we have fallen short of God's standard. Let me show you this um, longer teaching, a part of it in Matthew 19. Three through nine. So listen to this in context, and we'll go back to it, to our two verses for today. So this is Matthew 19, of course, later on in Jesus' ministry. 
says, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? We'll park there for a second. See, they're coming then, the religious leaders, they want to trap him. They want to test him. They want to see, does he know the law and what does he say about it, right? And so they bring one up that actually was a very contentious at the time, and we'll get more into detail the, the background of it in Matthew 19, but at the time of, of uh, in the first century Israel, there was sort of these two uh, different um, trains of thought in how to interpret God's teaching in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament about divorce. And there was basically one rabbi and all of his followers and another rabbi, and the one rabbi said um, that a husband can divorce his wife for any reason at all. They would even write, even if the wife doesn't cook the meal to his liking, he can divorce. Now, there was another camp by another rabbi who said, no, it was only, God only allowed divorce, a husband could only divorce his wife because if he found sexual immorality or, uh, as our passage says, for unchastity. And there's even, um, you know, scholarly debate about what that truly means because actually in the Old Testament, in God's law, the judgment or the punishment for adultery was death, right? So if you think about it, like if the one condition that Jesus is even referring to for divorce is sexual morality, could it be just adultery or having an affair with somebody else? Because under the law, actually that was judged by death. And so we have to be able to parse that out. Again, more as we get to Matthew 19. But here's why I bring it up. So that's why he says, Again, this is why Matthew records this. You see, keep it in context. Because during that time when Jesus was alive, there was this great debate between the followers of both of these prominent rabbis. Like, what's the reason that a man can divorce his wife? Right? And they would argue and debate. And so they ask him, so Jesus, is it, what do you think? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? You could see them following up, being like, this is our great debate. What do you say? What camp do you fall in, Jesus? That's what they were expecting. Because they were basically expecting one of two answers. So look at Jesus' response in verse 4. And he answered them. you got to love the way Jesus answered questions, right? Never what you would expect. He answered them and said, have you not read? Again, he's meeting them on their terms, the law. They know the law. Okay. Have you not read? that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, and he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And so Jesus answers that question. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But, there's a big but right there. From the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, there it is again. Jesus saying, I say to you, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, 
commits adultery. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying you're missing the whole heart of it. Because they're asking him this question to try to get him to take sides. And he says, wait, wait, let's go back to the beginning. When God set the standard. Remember, this is all about what is the standard, God's standard, for righteousness? How to be reconciled to God? And Jesus says, hold on a second. Let's go back to the beginning. So you know the law, right? And he says, what about this? That God created man and woman, and he would desire that they would be given in marriage one man, one woman, forever, because the two shall become one. You see that? He is giving them the scripture that they should know. And he's tell- it's like he's telling them, you're missing the whole part of it. You're missing the whole underlying foundation of this teaching on divorce. So he's saying, Moses permitted it because your hearts are hardened. You see, God allows that, not because it's what he wants or how he designed marriage. He allows it because we are sinful people. Again, not to condone any sin, but God gives the law through Moses so that there would be some modicum of order and righteousness. But again, in the context of the law, as we will see, given to God's people, people of Israel, the Hebrews, an imperfect people, God gives them this teaching. And yes, through the law given to Moses, he allows for divorce, but because, as Jesus said, because the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted it. Do you see that? Please don't skip over that. What is Jesus saying in those powerful words? He's saying God does not want divorce. It's not his design. It is not part of the divine institution of marriage as God set it out. Remember before sin, before Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? God had created it perfectly. What is that verse? Uh, We'll get back to it. Let's see. I might have skipped over it. I don't think I put it down. You remember the verse that Jesus quoted. It was from Genesis 2.24. God says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right? And maybe I think it's in the, the King James. If you read the King James, it's something about cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. That word in the Hebrew basically means like glue. Right? So God's intent was that the two would become one Let no one separate. You hear those words in in a marriage ceremony a lot, right? That was God's intent. Like glue, they two become one. It's no longer two, it's one. How can you separate that out? Do you ever go to a wedding and and oftentimes the the bride and groom decide to have some kind of um, symbolic um, gesture? Uh, Oftentimes maybe it's a hand binding with a a rope, right, that um, they are bound together. It's, It's symbolic. It's a good visual. Others maybe have a unity candle where they each take the, the, the bride and groom, take a candle and they light one big candle together. If two flames become one, you can't take those two flames back out, right? Or sometimes it's the, the, um, the sand, right? The unity sand where you have a container and you have the bride and the groom have two different colors of sand, right? And they mix them together. Once you do that, can you separate out the two colors of sand? No, you cannot. 
The idea is that was God's design. That was his heart. See, God did not desire or decree that anyone would be divorced. And even further, as we see this, because the teaching was, and this is important too, we get more to it in Matthew 19, but the law was that a husband had the right to divorce his wife, to give her a certificate of divorce. Nowhere was it allowed that the woman or the wife could in turn divorce her husband. God did not desire or decree that women, a woman that he created, that women were to be exploited or denigrated or treated like second-class citizens. Why? Because God desired unity. The two become one. There is oneness. I read as our call to worship from Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Paul says, if there's any, any unity, any love between you, have the same mind. And Jesus was humble enough. He was humble to to die for us, even death on a cross, so then God lifted him up. See, but it was all about unity. That's God's heart. So even in that society, in that day, it was only the husband that had the legal status and legal right to divorce his wife. Now, I have to say that God did uh, include in this, remember, the law given to Moses because of their hardened heart, this wasn't God's original design, but because of the sin and the hardness of heart, God did incorporate some protections for the wife. Even having to give a certificate, remember Jesus says that in our passage, he says, you've heard it said, right? you have to give a certificate of divorce. It was a legal document, and so the husband, if he wanted to divorce his wife, depending on how you decided what the reason was, he would have to go through a lengthy legal process to get an actual document. And why would God have put that in there? Believe to help, to help to mitigate the circumstances. Hopefully, of course, God's heart would be reconciliation. To make it as difficult as possible in that legal system that existed for the husband to actually act upon his desire because God desired oneness. Does that make sense? And so, thank you, brother, I appreciate that. And, and so God built in there, yes, some protections. And again, there's even more behind all that. However, as God's original design was that the two would become one and then it would be forever, there became, because of the sinful heart of man, abuse of power. Abuse of the law to not even give a woman the legal right to divorce her husband. Again, there was two schools of thought of even what was the reasons. Could it be for any reason, or was it just some um, infidelity or something that he found, that the husband found in the wife? Let us remember that it is always good Bible study practice to understand the context. I said this earlier, right? That there's always uh, an importance to look at the context of the passage, to know what's being written, who it's being written to, who is saying it, and what's the context of why this is being written so that we don't take any verse of Scripture out of context or miss the point or misinterpret the point. So we do that here. Why is Jesus using divorce? 
in our passage? Again, the main point, you've heard it said, but I tell you, what is he saying? God's standard, listen to it, just important. God's standard is not based on outward appearances or simple actions like a certificate of divorce. I'm following the law, I'm good, I'm good with God, I'm following the law. But it's about the heart condition. Remember, it's never about behavior modification with God. It is about heart transformation, right? The, the, the behavior modification comes after you are saved. That is our life of sanctification. That is us trying to, um, to live like Jesus, to become more like him. But in our sinful state, before we put our faith and trust in Jesus and him alone, the salvation of our sins, it is not about just changing our behavior in order to win God's favor and get into heaven. It's about heart transformation. See, Jesus, again, he's coming as the beginning of his ministry, and he's teaching what citizens of his kingdom that he's coming to offer, what it would look like, what their character would be. And the character is not just about your outward actions, it's about the heart, where it comes from, right? Because it flows from the heart. And the ultimate point of the law, that no one can meet God's standards on their own, so we need someone to do it for us. We need a new heart, and Jesus is the only one who can offer that. That's why he came, to offer hope. Hope apart from the law. There is hope in Jesus. There is forgiveness in Jesus. There is mercy and grace in Jesus. Do you remember, I don't have it up there, Remember in Matthew 11, this very powerful statement of Jesus, and many of you maybe even memorized it, when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, right? And I will give you rest, right? He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, and I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know why Jesus was saying that? Again, context who he was talking to, he's talking to the Jewish people who are burdened by what? By the law, trying to keep the law in order to meet God's righteous standard. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest for your soul because you are burdened and weary from trying to keep the law. And Jesus is offering grace and mercy. For that we say, hallelujah. In his great uh, novel, C.S. Lewis titled it The Great Divorce. Maybe some of you have read that. Great author, C.S. Lewis. He wrote a novel called The Great Divorce, and in it, basically, he is taking from Scripture this idea of our relationship, humanity, to God as a marriage. Anyway, Paul expounds upon that, right? Because isn't the church, which is all believers everywhere in the world, all true believers, aren't we called the bride of Christ? He's the groom, we're the bride, we're waiting for him to come back and claim us as his bride, take us, there'll be a great marriage feast of the Lamb. We see that we are pictured as the bride of Christ, this great marriage between us and God, and God has sanctified this marriage through Jesus Christ, the two become one again, as Christ has forgiven us of our sins, see? And so C.S. Lewis calls his novel The Great Divorce, why? Because, like in a marriage, right, as God intended, the two become one, sin has created this divorce. Never God's heart or intention. 
important to remember, women and men are created equal in God's eyes. Do you know that both men and women are made in his image? Let us never forget that. Therefore, we are to be treated as such and treat each other as such. As we close a few other verses, look at what it says in Ephesians 5. Oh, we've all heard this, right? We talk about this a lot. Sometimes we joke about it. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, the teaching of Paul and wives and husbands. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be there uh, to their husbands in everything. Again, here we go. Paul is describing the church and Christ, husband and wife, Yes, we know these verses very well. Wives, be subject to your husbands. But what does he say in the next couple of verses? Somehow we tend to skip over these, don't we, men? Husbands, so he talked about wives submitting. Husbands, love your wives. That sounds easy. Just as Christ also loved the church. Well, how did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. What? He died for her. So that he might sanctify her. He is capitalized. This is God and us sanctifying us, the bride of Christ, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Do you see, when God sees us, church, he sees the blood of Christ covering us, right? We are made righteous and holy in him. Now, we don't live like that. We still live in these jars of clay, these broken, sinful bodies. But yet, spiritually, in our, we have renewed hearts, a renewed spirit. So therefore, we are connected once again to a holy and righteous God. And we are seen as the bride of Christ. Doesn't that even show the heart of God for the importance of the marriage relationship? Why would God ever condone divorce? He did not create it. It was not his idea or plan. He even shows us the beauty of the gospel of grace in marriage. You know, that's the important, one of the most important things to understand. When a couple is getting ready to get married, understand what is the purpose of marriage? Why are we doing this? As a Christian couple, it is to be an example, a mirror of sacrificial love to Christ has shown us that is the true meaning marriage. But how about this? People skip this too. This is the verse that comes right before wives submit to your husbands. What does Paul say? Be subject or submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Then he says, wives submit to husbands. Husbands love your wives. Do you see what the intent is? Paul starts that whole section by saying, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Why? Because we are all made in the image of God. What a privilege and responsibility to God that husbands have to give themselves up for their wife. To treat as, as a gift, to present to God as holy and blameless. Husbands, do we treat our wives that way? Jesus said, so they can be presented as radiant and without blemish, to treat them as a precious, precious gift. 
Does that sound like a God who loves divorce? The broken world, tainted and corrupted by sin, is not God's design. When people ask you that question, well, why? yes, why is there... Why is there so much suffering in the world? How could a loving God allow so much suffering and everything, all the suffering we see around us? How about we say, do you know this isn't God's design? This was not his plan. Yes, in his great sovereignty, he is allowing it. We don't always, of course, understand all of the reasons for that. But this sinful and broken world was not God's design this way. That's why he promised a redeemer That's why he gave us his only son, to reconcile our broken relationship. That great divorce, as C.S. Lewis calls it. Now, concluding thoughts on the law. He gave the law, and this we kind of end where we started, as Jesus is quoting the law again, God gave the law to help the Hebrew people, to help the nation of Israel, and by extension the whole world, to live righteously in a fallen world with all of our imperfections until the perfect one came. But of course, the law was not powerful to save us, but to show us that we need saving. Because scripture says very clearly, we are no longer now as Christians under the law. So he never condoned divorce or abuse of power or abuse of of any kind in a relationship. See, but sin had already corrupted, so God institutes some kind of safeguards through Moses, allows for divorce. Jesus said it very clearly, because our hearts are hardened as sinful people. See, the law was imperfect to save us, but Jesus is perfect. We say amen to that? Thank you. You want to put in your notes, Jeremiah 3 is another good chapter to look at as God describes Israel's unfaithfulness to him as a husband divorcing a wife. He describes Israel continually being unfaithful as a husband divorcing his wife. But as Christians, thank God we're no longer under the law. I'll leave you with these three verses, and we'll stand and close. Galatians 2.16, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Paul makes it very clear. How about Paul in Romans 10? Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes, see? That really sums up what Jesus is teaching when he talks about murder and adultery and now divorce. He's saying the law is not going to save you. But he says, Christ came to complete the law. He's the end of the law. Why? So that there can be that righteousness. Again, that's God's standard for everyone who believes. So how do we get it? By just doing the right thing. God says you can issue a a certificate of divorce. Okay, I've done it. I kept the law, I'm going to the kingdom. No. Jesus said it's all about believing. That's how we attain that righteousness. Believing that Jesus' righteousness is now ours when we believe. Galatians 3.24. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith.
And this really is Jesus' point in this part of his sermon. The religious leaders were looking at the law as able to save them just by their outward response. And Jesus says, that's not the heart of the law. That's not the heart of God. That's not even the purpose of the law. Divorce was not God's plan, not his standard. Even abuse of that beautiful relationship that God created, the two shall become one. Abuse of that was never God's standard. Just because we see it exist and we see it around us doesn't mean God wants it. Let us continue to look at the scriptures to find the heart of God in any and all situations. Amen? Would you stand with me as I pray, Father God? There are many hard teachings of yours in your word, but we are grateful that as we compare scripture with scripture that you make it very clear that you have revealed yourself to us and your desire, your heart, and how we are to live now. God, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Thank you for 1 John that tells us that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, thank you that we are made new in Jesus Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. You do not hold that sin against us. God, may we continually be willing as believers to confess our sins and to know that they've been forgiven and removed from us as far as the east is from the west, but yet, Lord God, we are to come before you and confess. Father God, have mercy on us. Bless the marriages here at Trinity. God, bless the marriages. They would continue to be strong, that there would be courageous husbands and wives willing to live according to your standard. Father God, may we be reminded in the marriage relationship and in any of our relationships that we are all created in your image. Thank you, Father God. May we treat each other, may we treat each other with that honor, that privilege of being in each other's presence and Father, may husbands present their wives radiant as beautiful gifts. May wives continue to love their husbands, and God, may there be such beautiful unity because we know that is your desire. May we always see your heart in all things. Unity, not division. Unity and not division. God, we recognize divorce is that greatest of division, but yet you heal, you sent Jesus to heal broken relationships. God, thank you that you are a God of mercy and a God of grace. May we look at each other as beautiful creations of yours made in your image. Father God, thank you for the privilege of being in community with one another, of being able to encourage each other. And Lord, as we leave this place, Father God, God, may we understand that your standard is perfect and holy righteousness and that is only found in Jesus Christ and him alone. 
Father, for anyone here who has not yet believed in your son Jesus for salvation, God, continue to draw them with mercy and compassion to yourself, that their eyes may be opened to the truth of who you are and who they are in you. God, our desire is to give you all the glory in all things. So we thank you, Lord, for what you have done in and through us today. Go before us, Holy Spirit. Take us from this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, church. God bless you. What time do the other um, ministries get down there under the bridge? You know what time they're normally there? Okay. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, it'll probably take us an hour and 45 to get there, right? So, for, okay. Okay. Surely in life.